Today's episode is brought to you by We Break You Buy. Interested in sports cards and memorabilia? Check out We Break You Buy on TikTok. We Break You Buy is a small operation run by three brothers, offering spots for a chance at winning some incredible sports cards and memorabilia. That's We Break You Buy. Check it out today on TikTok. to you yeah this is our first recording of 2024 it won't be the first episode that the listeners hear but you know we record these out of order just because we like to challenge ourselves well yeah, this yeah. is why wasn't it better i'm your host patrick darms and i'm your co-host anton paras we have a return guest with us peter baldeo longtime veteran of the podcast welcome back welcome thank back you. peter thank you guys grateful to be here on first day of the 2024 year yeah yeah, I'm just grateful to be here. You know, I'm alive and well. Things are going well. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for having me back. Excited to yeah. have you on our first official recording of 2024. Let's go. Yeah, and this was a really, just an episode that the second that I knew that we were going to cover this film, Peter, you were the first person I thought of. We're talking about Gran Turismo. That's right. I appreciate that. Long time GT fan. I described you to Anton as the second biggest Gran Turismo fan I know. The only reason that I don't have you number one is I actually do know someone who tried out for the GT Academy, and I have to give them number one status for doing that. What? Hell yeah, you have to give them the number one. I'm glad to be yeah. number two to that. <laughs> I was. When you sent me that text too, I was like, I wonder who number two is. And I was like, you know what? I'll save it for the podcast. Yeah, I don't want to drop the name on the podcast out of respect for their privacy. I think I that's fair. I haven't asked them for their permission to do so, but I. I will tell you after if you are curious. Anton, I want to begin with a little bit of unusual admin here. Uh, okay. Tom Wilkinson just passed away. Oh, yes. Got to give that, um, got to give the respect here for this admin. Very yeah. important. Yeah. One of the best character actors of all time, in my opinion. Yeah. I think many people oh, would man. agree with this. Jun Tao. Jun Tao. He's a, he's a very curious actor to study, right? Because... Both of you would uh, agree with me, right? Character actor, right? Did yeah. a lot of supporting roles. Yeah, yeah. I think that's very and, valid. Like, he's always yet, the British villain. Right. And yet, he managed to be the best actor in a film nominated for Best Picture. I'm talking about In the Bedroom, 2001. That's about as good as it gets for a character actor. He got mm -hmm. his first Oscar nomination for that. I wouldn't call that a um, very entertaining movie. It's kind of a downer if you've ever seen it, but really just an acting clinic, him and Sissy Spacek, Marissa Tomei's in that too. Uh, Anton, our boy Todd Field from our very own Eyes Wide Shut, he directed that film. And important to also you know, note that uh, Mr. Uh, Wilkinson has been a lot of films that maybe a few of our younger listeners may, may, not, have, may not have realized. I mean, Pat, of course, you made a reference to uh, Jun Tao, of the, our, our, our favorite villain from... Uh, Rush Hour, but of right. course, a few films of, um, that uh, listeners may recognize. Batman Begins as Carmine Falcone. Yes. Yep. 
Probably a movie younger listeners haven't heard of, but Michael Clayton, that is absolutely my favorite Tom Wilkinson role. That is actually one of my favorite movies from the past 20 years. George Clooney too, right? George, yeah, George yeah, Clooney's in yeah, that. I remember that movie. That movie was Inc- really good. Incredible movie. Yeah. Uh, if anyone's seen the John Adams miniseries on HBO, Wilkinson was an amazing Ben Franklin. And then, of course, in another HBO film, he played the Bush family consigliere, James Baker, in the film called Recount. But he was also in stuff like The Full Monty. He was General Cornwallis in The Patriot. He was in Shakespeare in Love. Valkyrie oh. with Tom Cruise. Just so many movies. Just a, a fantastic uh, actor. He, he will be missed. He was in a 2001 Martin Lawrence classic, Black Knight. <laughs> was he really? Yes, dude. I remember seeing that with my aunt <laughs> in the theater. We had nothing man. to do. Sir Nulty of Marlborough. <laughs> that is a deep cut. <laughs> I did not have that written movie. down in the notes. Uh, yeah, he's just all, just an all-time great actor. Uh, it, it's a real shame he was only seventy-five years old, but we wanted to give him a shout out because you know, e- even if you don't recognize the name, you will absolutely know the face and you will know his work. Yeah, yeah. R.I.P. Tom. Indeed. Any other admin, Anton? You want to get out of the way before we delve in? Before we uh, get into this, get into this race car and take off. Well, twenty twenty-four is here, and I just hope that everyone's having a healthy and happy start to the new year, and the only best wishes and of course uh all the best to our listeners and our supporters um we're super excited to be here for 2024 and we are keeping this thing going with very strong momentum i mean our subscriber count has really been growing so thank you so much to everyone that's been listening commenting engaging it really has grown so much since we've started and we're seeing that across all our platforms i mean i'm sure you'd agree pat completely and as the subscriber base grows so too does the feedback that we are receiving um we are getting some just just tremendously helpful, thoughtful emails, comments. I guess those are really the only two types of feedback that we're getting. But those are <laughs> those are two important ones. Um yeah, it's it's been it's a, it's been an incredible journey so far. We just passed our, our our 50th episode and we have so many more to come. Anton, we only have four movies left to cover this season after this. So next week, uh listeners can hear the Poseidon adventure and then Oh, no, maybe only three left after this, right? So we have the Poseidon Adventure next week, Captain America, the first Avenger, and then we will be closing out the season with uh, Revenge of the Sith, the third Star Wars prequel. Ooh. So get ready for that, folks. We're, oh, uh, yeah. We're, we're closing out strong, and I mean, yeah. having a lot of fun while we're doing it. So much fun. All the fun. Uh, uh, to our lovely guest, uh, Peter, is there anything that you'd like to mention or plug as we always uh, welcome every guest to do. All right. It's okay like, if you don't. We're just talking general thing to plug out there. Could be anything. Anything. Related the, the, the stage is yours. So my wife and I saw Beauty and the Beast at the Walnut Street Theater in Philly. It was sick, dude. Like I actually, Yeah. I actually never right. realized. Like we, we, go, we try to go see a play like every year. And like every time I go in there, like I just get blown away of like what these people are doing. And like you think about it, you've watched an entire Disney movie through song and dance like it's just it's just crazy to think that like how much work goes into this and like it's just so different than a movie and it's so much more immersive so i the play was awesome i have to give a shout out to the team that did it hell yeah guys nice love that that's a great plug Yeah. yeah coincidentally enough the uh the local symphony orchestra here where i live they are doing beauty and the beast 
in a couple of months. Basically, they will they will show the film and the orchestra will perform all the music and there'll be singing. So I think my wife and I are going to go to that. That's we, super we love, cool. Oh, yeah, I we love, love going to the symphony. Yeah, yeah they do cool. a bunch of movies every year. Like last year, we saw them do Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was incredible. Wow. Yeah, they're really great. If you ever get a chance, uh, Peter, to do that. I know the, the Philadelphia Orchestra does stuff like that. I definitely recommend doing that. It's, it's an amazing experience. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. Yeah, I've seen them do um, Gladiator. I've seen them do one of the Star Wars movies. Uh, it's really cool. But have you seen them do Gran Turismo? I have not <laughs> seen them do Gran Turismo. I don't know how well an orchestra would handle the score to this film. They'd have to bring <laughs> out all the different... Semi-successfully. Semi I, I don't know if they I'd love the British rap. very well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I think we can get into this. Based on a true story, Jan Mardenborough is a teenage retail worker and Gran Turismo player who gets the opportunity of a lifetime. He teams up with a former race car driver and idealistic motorsport executive. The team of underdogs risk it all to take on the most elite sport in the world. Gran Turismo was released on August 25th, 2023 by Columbia Pictures, PlayStation Productions, and 2.0 Entertainment. It was directed by Neil Bloomkamp. Screenplay was written by Jason Hall and Zach Braylon with an additional story credit for Alex Z. And it's, of course, based on Gran Turismo by Polyphony Digital. It stars Archie Medequi, David Harbour, Orlando Bloom, Takahiro Hira, Darren Barnett, Digimon Hounsou, and Jerry Halloway Horner, a.k.a. Ginger Spice. The budget was $60 million, and the box office was $121 million. Peter, I think at this point the listeners know why you're here, but why did you want to talk about Gran Turismo? Oh, man. So, lifelong Gran Turismo fan. So, my earliest memories of like the first video games I've played were that like two-disc set that you got on the original PlayStation. With the Gran Turismo, I've been playing racing games my entire mm -hmm. life. Recently, last year, I kind of discovered like real car racing, which is actually super sick. So my business partner like races Porsches and stuff, so he starts bringing me, and I go down there. So I've been driving on a racetrack for like the last year, and it's awesome. And I have like such a respect for what these guys do on a racetrack because it is probably one of the most mentally taxing sports that. Like I, I've never experienced anything like it, and these guys are going 190 plus, and it, it's just wild to see what they can do with cars. And I love them, and I've always been a car guy, so I, I, I couldn't say no when you asked. It's just the love of cars, everything. It's just, and I'm such a fanboy too, which I will comment on relative to the movie because I know I have some counterintuitive opinions. <laughs> That's an excellent reason. Yeah, when I texted you about being on this episode, I don't think I've ever received a text message response back faster. Yes. I, I, like, I, like, I, I hung up on clients. I was like, I need to go. <laughs> hang on a second. Yeah, you may have to cut that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a wonderful reason. Um, we're glad to have you here. Uh, Anton, this is our second video game adaptation movie. Really? Or is it? Or is it? <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Uh, technically, it's not a video game adaptation, right? You can't really call this a video game movie. That's it's fair. based on a true story. And in fact, maybe this is controversial, but uh, this is far more interesting to me than an actual video game movie. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's a hot take. It uh, it was definitely an interesting one. And especially yeah. in 2023, there were a lot of actual video game adaptations. Of course, we're referencing, we'd reviewed the, or we'd covered the Super Mario Brothers film 
but there was a yeah. lot of video game releases in 2023. Didn't Uncharted come out too? I think PlayStation Studios did that. There was also The Last of Us in 2023. Oh, that's right. That's right. Right. That, right. Great, by the way. A few series along. Uh, also an, another series related to the car genre, but not as great. Uh, Twisted Metal. Yeah. That was a thing. I didn't even that know was, about yeah. that. that. I got sick a... back in September and I watched it because it's with Anthony Mackie. I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was hilarious. Like, I loved oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I do know yeah. your. T- yeah, okay. It was cringeworthy, yeah. but I, I loved it. Oh. I, I do. And, and I love the fact that he was driving a Subaru. Like, like yes. you got to respect a good STI, man. And then we were, we were joking about it before the recording, but of course, Five Nights at Freddy's also released another pretty large video game franchise. But no, we are, we are talking about, of course, Gran Turismo and definitely a very interesting choice for a film right absolutely it is one of the biggest video game franchises of all time it's been around for a pete what is it 30 years at this point yeah i'm 33 almost 30 years it's it's gotta be i think the first one came out in like mid 90s in in 1997 yeah okay so okay so we're approaching 30 years yeah Yeah. i remember Um, tweaking suspensions with my uncle and gran turismo (laughs) first playstation I was going to say, I whatever, I don't know which one I played, but the first one I played was on the original PlayStation. So yeah. it's been a while. Uh, the trailer for this film, it really wanted you to know that it was based on a true story. They really emphasized this several times. It's on the poster. It is, um, I've also seen it in the subtitle of the film, Gran Turismo colon based on a true story. Of course, that's not really the official title of the film because that would be silly. <laughs> But I have seen it promoted that way. The producers and the cast are here to tell you that it's 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 based on a true story. But to be yeah. honest, when I saw the trailer for this, you know, at some point in the spring of last year, I just kind of went meh. I wasn't excited for this. I, I didn't really care for the Need for Speed movie that came out of um, a few years before this. That was just very, it was fine. It was all right. Oh, with Jesse Pinkman? I actually enjoyed yeah, it that. Was, it was I okay. Think that's, I think that's what this one was similar to. This, I like. I wouldn't describe it a video game adaptation. I would describe it as like a video game license. They licensed it so they can appeal to a movie crowd and a video game crowd, right? Like that's why everyone saw Need for Speed because it, it had. Does that make any sense? No, I see. I can see that. Um, this is definitely not a there. There, when we really think about it, there's no plot for Gran Turismo, so this is very Correct. video game adjacent. Right? Just do it. Right. Yeah, laps. this was a very intelligent decision on their part to do this. Yeah, they, yeah. Um, they I had zero knowledge of the the true story. You know, I, I understand that there are many you know fans of the game. Like Pete, I'm, I'm sure you probably realized that this was based on a true story or like what it was based on. I, yeah, I certainly definitely. did not. As soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, that could have been me. And then I was like, no, I couldn't. <laughs> I did not know what to think when I saw the trailer. Like, I, I I didn't care enough at the time to look it up. I probably should have because I really wish I had seen this in a theater. This would have been a, a wonderful movie to see on a big screen with a big sound system. Yeah. Wait, shout out to, and I'm going to butcher this guy's name, the father of Gran Turismo, Kazunori Yamauchi. Yamuchi? Yeah, uh, who, who has a cameo in this film. Yes. Yes, he does. Shout out to him yeah. for creating arguably one of the best franchises we've seen since the inception of video games i I think he definitely deserves all uh he 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 deserves his flowers and all the respect for creating the most popular racing franchise uh since its inception the other big deal about this film which of course i felt that they did a very poor job of promoting was neil bloomkamp's involvement as director yes i agree Because that was one of the things that, as soon as you said the name, I was like, "This guy's done great movies." Like, I don't think he gets enough Has he? Or I was gonna say he he did a you movie sure about that. that? Okay, maybe. Okay, great being relatively speaking, right? I'm not. He did a great movie. 
I'll say that. Which which great movie? Maybe our listeners may not recognize the name. District District Nine. Nine. Yeah, Yeah. that which came out all the way back in two thousand nine. That was his first feature length film. One Mm -hmm. of the strongest debut feature films from any filmmaker. Dude, he did Elysium too. Elysium, I think, was a really cool concept with Matt Damon. Yeah, I didn't like and that then, movie. And oh, then he and it. then he did he did Chappie because he he thought that a uh, Deant word was totally popular amongst the mass populace, which they're not. <laughs> I didn't even make it through that movie. I made it about halfway through, and I was like, "This is not for me." With that first movie, District Nine, there was a lot of hype around his name. Right? It's like, is this guy the next Ridley Scott? Is he the next Jim Cameron? But then everybody wanted the sequel to District 9. We still want the sequel to District 9. And then over the next 12 years, he just gives us three films that were, I would say, received with with a very lukewarm attitude. Elysium, okay, some people liked it better than others. Chappie, I don't think it's a very well-received movie. And then Demonic, which I've never seen. But I like, you know, like they have their fans, but none of them even come close to the success of, of District 9. We've been hearing mm-hmm. rumors about District a 10, sequel right? to that since it came it? out, and we, we still haven't gotten it. I just wanted to mention shouts out to a uh, guest. Uh, uh, he's been a guest on the show, but also a longtime listener. Nathan Perry wanted to make sure that it's known. A lot of people assume that there's going to be a sequel called District 10, but who knows what the actual title of the sequel will be. It may end up being District 8, maybe a, a reversal um, from True. expectations. It's a very good. True. Yeah. Let's go. Are we um, even going to get a sequel? Are we even going to get one? It's true. Um, District, District 6.5. Is it going to be a Disney spinoff? <laughs> No during <laughs> during an interview for Gran Turismo, Neil Bloomkamp was interviewed and stated that essentially there is an indefinite hiatus um, with District Nine be uh, with a District Nine sequel being put on the shelves for maybe in the future. So I would love to know more about the details involved in that because if he wants to make it, he would have made it, right? So I'm I'm wondering there must be other forces at work here, isn't it? just so hilarious that there's all these films that we've covered on the podcast where uh, an essential question is who asked for this but everyone's asking for a district nine sequel but it's just not getting made could it be said that even though we want it he doesn't want to make it because it may not top the first because very possible remember that dark knight episode we were talking about like months ago and it was like, maybe he's just like, you know what? District 9 was great. I'm not going to taint it. Well, much respect to him. But I, at this point, I think we'll we'll take it just because the first one was so great. And well, he decided to go in a different direction. He didn't end up making it. But he, as we mentioned, made Elysium, Chappie, Demonic. He did make a short film, Halo, uh, live action. Forward, forward until dawn. Which was, I actually thought that was really cool. Oh, that and was him? Yeah, that was him, and I thought oh, that was awesome. Right. He yeah. also did, which is, he did, I guess it's like an anthology series, but it's on Netflix. It's called Oats Studios, and it's like a collection of different, like, little mini episodes. Some of them are like eight minutes, some of them are like ten minutes, some are like, it's actually really cool. I think if if people kind of like more abstract stuff, I would say check it out, because some of them are actually pretty cool. And then there's, it's, just check it out. It'll cost you eight minutes of your life, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. You like the guy. That's and it's, it. And it's on eight, eight minutes. All right. I can, some, I can some do that. Some of them are like 60 seconds. And it's just like, it's just real. It's just different ideas that popped up. And then they made them into like, I would say some animated, some not animated. It's really cool. Check it out. Okay. Well, at one point it was rumored that he was going to be doing an alien sequel that would have retconned the uh, horrific alien three, but that also never materialized. Look, all I know is this Gran Turismo was probably going to be a big deal upon release, right? 
big video game franchise name. Neil Bloomkamp, he's a name. But the thing is, the movie wasn't. The budget was fairly modest, but the box yeah. office numbers were disappointing. It's looking like a loss for Columbia and Sony. It yeah. seemed like it was in and out of theaters faster than one of those cars can get to 100 miles an hour. Like it was just nice. solid. It just, thank you. It just didn't make any kind of a, a spark at the box office. 65% Rotten Tomato score. So, you know, respectable, but nothing amazing. Curiously, the audience score is 98%. That's a big disparity. So here, here's a dumb question. Does Do those box office figures, and I've been noticing this with a lot of movies where they keep talking about them. I feel like these movies aren't making as much money as they used to, like at all. Well, one thing that is very important to note is that with I, it's it's a combination of things, but mostly due to inflation, is the, the cost of making these films has skyrocketed in the past 20 years. Mm, okay. No, and I, I'm actually surprised at how modest this budget was. $60 million is not a lot of money. Th- this... And we'll talk about it a little bit later. This this looks like a $200 million movie to me. It does. Well, and it looks very another good. aspect that we don't um, often see is uh, the marketing budget on top of yeah. the actual right. production budget. Were they running right. ads on TV? Because I feel like the first time I saw it, it was on YouTube. I believe that I saw the trailer for this when I went to see Oppenheimer in July. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah, I don't yeah. even watch TV, so I couldn't even tell you if no, they're right. I think you're right. On TV. I mean, it, it it went up against a pretty stacked summer yeah. um, film line, so it, it's not like it was the premiere film for the summer. But I mean, big films at the time releasing, of course, were Oppenheimer and Barbie. It came out the same weekend as Barbie, so mm, yeah, kind of going one on one for that. Yeah, no, fun this fact, came out well. This came well well after that. Well, fun fact for. Between Barbie and uh, Gran Turismo, um, Gran Turismo was uh, in the first position um, in front of Barbie for uh, opening release. And Barbie just broke the world. Yeah, they made a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, I heard it's really good. Anton liked it. I loved it. I I will go ahead and say I loved it. I actually haven't seen it. Dude, I heard it was like like really empowering and stuff too, which I like because – I've been reading these articles and stuff about like countries trying to ban a movie, which usually means it's pretty good and it's a threat to like governments. Well, but, it was fun. It was fun because it was empowering, but it doesn't shove it down your throat. I like that. I got to watch it. I actually bought it for like five bucks on Blu-ray because I was like, this would be cool to have. I know you want to cover it, Anton. Is it even worthy of the Why Wasn't It Better name? Everyone Oof. seems to really like it. I think that's the fun part with uh, the podcast is we can actually cover whatever we want. And who knows, maybe for our future Patreon, we Ooh. might do an episode where we actually uh, dissect a film and say why it was better. What? So, so just maybe uh-huh. a little bit of a hint and Easter egg for our listeners. That's the right answer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've covered a few new films on this podcast. This one is new-ish. It came out last year. The reason why that it was ultimately chosen is that it, it recently became available on Netflix and my niece actually observed to me, like, why didn't you cover that on the podcast? And I didn't have a good answer. So that's I, I added it to the list. And the fact that it was uh, available on Netflix just gave us an excuse to do it. I guess that's good feedback, Pat. That's a question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're not perfect, Pete. Yeah. There's too many films to cover. Like, when I originally thought of the podcast, I very foolishly thought I would struggle to come up with films that met the criteria. And like, it turns out our list is like, we have like 600 films on the list now. <laughs> Almost every week we either get a suggestion or we think of some other movie <laughs> that, that falls under the criteria of why wasn't it better. So we're going to be doing this for a while. 
Let's go. Love to hear it. 52 episodes in at this point, and um, nowhere Dude, near a, done. That's, that's a hell of an achievement, man. I followed this podcast, and they're on like episode 100 now. This is Finance Podcast, and they like started out. Like I was probably I probably caught them maybe around like episode twenty, and I've been with them ever since. Like that's a big achievement. Well, when we get to a hundred, we might have you on, depending on what we're covering. Wow, yeah, make it a good movie or a less bad movie. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, all right. Terminator Three is as lowest as I'll go. Uh, Hannibal was pretty low. Hannibal Ooh. was pretty low. Yeah. Okay. Hannibal's the. Lowest I gotta say, I Terminator Three. I, I enjoyed f- far more than Hannibal. Yeah, that's true. Uh, put you at the kitty table. <laughs> Disembowel a man. All right, back uh, to GT, guys. This is what yeah. the listeners Production are history for Gran Turismo. The development of this film goes back to 2013 when Sony announced that it was going to make a Gran Turismo movie based on a screenplay written by Alex Z. At that point, Z was probably best known for writing the 2009 Watchmen adaptation. Joseph Kaczynski was all set to direct, albeit with a different screenplay in mind. But this idea ended up falling through, and by 2018, Kaczynski was officially out. Anton, for what it's worth, Kaczynski would have been a great choice to direct this. You know, based on Tron Legacy and Top Gun mm-hmm. Maverick, like this would have been right up his alley. This movie no. would have, I think, yeah. worked really well with him as director. I would have done a better I totally job. agree. It seemed like the project was completely dead until May of 2022 when Sony and PlayStation Productions announced that the film was moving forward. Neil Bloomkamp was hired to direct a screenplay that was based on Alex Z's original treatment. Writer Jason Hall was brought in to polish it. The official release date was set and it was announced that the film would be a biographical film based on the story of Jan Mardenborough. I've heard it as Yan. I thought it was yeah. Yan in the film. I thought it was Yan too. Yan. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Yan. Yan. Then sorry, Yan. I'll try to say your name right for the rest of this episode. I'm gonna say uh, another. Yan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another writer, Zach Braylon, was hired. He stated that films like Rocky and Top Gun were influences on that on the film. That's very, very on, clear. On the nose. <laughs> yeah, and in a good way, I think. Yeah. Uh, Orlando Bloom's character Danny Moore is inspired by the real life Darren Cox. Cox was a former Nissan Europe executive who in 2008 founded the GT Academy to help Sony PlayStation so that racing gamers could have a chance to become professional racing drivers. Just one one sec right there. Um, was anyone else thrown off by the way that Orlando Bloom said Nissan? The entire movie. No, no, I was I know, not. I know it's Nissan. the correct way to and say I'll, it. Dude. And, I'll, and, I'll tell, and I'll tell you why. Okay, so the only reason I was not thrown off by him saying Nissan is that with all the Champions League that I watch, I I have this ingrained audio in my head of Clive's Tildesley or someone that sounds like Clive Tildesley saying, today's match was brought to you by Nissan. <laughs> it's the British way to say it. Listen, I understand yeah. it. But for someone seeing yeah. it from the outside, I'm like, why? Like, what? Like, stop. Are you still the pirate from Pirates of the Caribbean? Like, why are you saying that? Yeah, it was. Uh, it definitely took me out for a little bit. But, you know. Yeah, uh, I got I over. definitely. First I, I, I get you there. Yeah. It would have thrown me off if it hadn't been for the Champions League. David Harbour's character, Jack Salter, is not real, but a, a, a basically composite of different real-life characters. Filming began in Hungary in November and wrapped up in December of 2022. Gran Turismo was filmed on location on real racetracks around the world, including the Slovakia Ring in Slovakia, the Dubai Autodrome, the Nürburgring, the Red Bull Ring in Austria, and the Hungarian Hungaro Ring. That's a real original name there. Many of the film's racing sequences were shot 
at the Hungaro Ring in Hungary, standing in for various circuits. Most notably, the Hungaro Ring, good Lord, stands in for a Silverstone during the GT Academy sequences. The drivers drive the circuit in reverse in an attempt to mask the real location, as well as Le Mans, where several of the Hungaro Ring's distinctive corners are used. The final corner being most notably different to the real-life layout of the circuit de la Sarthi in spite of the addition of set dressing and digital backdrops to obscure its location. The stunt driver for actor Archie Medecki was none other than Jan Mardenborough himself, who served as associate producer as well. I watch a lot of Formula One racing, and like I remember when they like were driving on the track that they said was Silverstone, and I was like, that's, that's, that doesn't look like Silver. That doesn't. But anyway, irrelevant. But... Yes, I, no, I, I understand. No, it's, it's not irrelevant. It, it's it's one of the criticisms of this film, actually. Yes. It is. It's like, well, yeah. what's happening here? You're not you're not yeah. in Britain. Cinematographer Jacques Joffret took advantage of the Rialto extension detachment system of the Sony Venice 2 cameras in order to place sensors in tight locations of cars away from the main camera body. One of the biggest challenges faced that while many of the tracks featured in the film are accurately portrayed, the production was not going to be able to film at Le Mans. This meant that no filming, scanning, or photography or photogrammetry could occur at the actual location. Instead, the visual effects team recreated Le Mans based on racing footage filmed in Hungary and additional computer-generated builds. Composer Stephen Barton was replaced by Lorne Balfi during post-production, although both men would end up receiving credits for their work on the score. And upon release, the film made about double its budget at the box office, so it was considered a disappointment by the studio. Anton, you pointed this out. It got caught up during the Barbie box office freight train. And that is it for the production of Gran Turismo. It's time to talk. Why wasn't it better? Number one. We're going to get this out of the way. The Nürburgring crash and the authenticity of the setting. One of the bigger controversies of the film and the largest criticism has to be that Mardenborough's crash um, at the Nürburgring being actually used as a narrative element in the film. So there was an actual crash that occurred for uh, during Yan's uh, racing career, and it was accurately depicted. But the actual placement of where it occurred on the timeline for the film was moved around. So it actually occurred two years after Martin Bro's debut at Le Mans. So, of course, um, the fact that there was also a real life fatality in the film, there's definitely a bit of criticism with being able to manipulate the facts. And it seems like there's an implication that it was the wreck that really motivated Yan's ability to get back into the sport and compete at Le Mans. With that, it's a definitely a good question to ask ourselves. Is this justifiable? Does it take away from the film? You know, Pete, Pat, what are your thoughts? It clearly says it's based on a true story, right? Obviously, everyone knows that it's going to have some factual basis, but at the end of the day, it still has to be a movie, right? I understand there was a real life death. I understand that it's awful, but it is still a movie. Right. And what they want to do is they want to portray that. So I don't know when people are criticizing it. I don't really know what they're expecting Mm -hmm. from a Hollywood and story perspective. I think the death makes sense. It does. It sells better. I think it's probably the best place in the story to put it. It's at the end of the day, you look at that through the real world lens. It's awful. Right. Because I think it does disrespect to the dead by making it a movie. But again, it's pretty clearly that it's saying it's based on a true story. And like, I don't know that for me, I, I think I think it's an unfair criticism of the movie. I do. Like, I, I understand it. And, like, they didn't even say the person that died. Like, did they? 
they didn't say any names in the film which no. i think is obviously respectful i don't think you should do that but i, I don't know i feel like people are just being like, like it's a movie guys right like, but I, not, I think oh please go ahead I, I don't think i don't think it's like a biography if that makes sense i think what i i can totally see where people would be upset and part of that also is it might seem misleading, especially if a lot of the marketing that you see along with the film and Pat mentioned it, it's in you see it next to the title based on a true story. When you see that, there's definitely a bit of a feeling that you were uh, deceived a bit. Like if it didn't happen like it did in real life, then how is it inspiring? But I think that there's so many true elements in the film that really shine through and show that this was a true story. But for the dramatic uh, storyline needed for the pacing of the story, they had to take some liberties to really make sure that it fit up to what they needed for the film. I mean, and another aspect, of course, how many underdog story sports films do this already? A lot. Yeah. I understand why people objected to this. Yes. Twisting the timeline is something that filmmakers probably should avoid. And I get it. Someone died. It is a tragedy. It was probably disingenuous of the people who are responsible for the the screenplay to to put this into the film in the way that they did. Yeah. But Anton, you were just about to get into this. This happens a lot. There is almost no biographical film that you can find that doesn't play with the facts in some way. This is what Hollywood does. It is not unique to this film. I didn't have any knowledge of this before I watched the, the movie. I thought they did a proper job of showing the guilt that his character felt, even though it wasn't his fault. You know, it, it is worth pointing out that Martinborough was cleared of any wrongdoing. What I would have found far more objectionable is if the film had somehow glossed over his culpability. That would have mm-hmm. been far more egregious to me. Now, of course, there was no culpability. They didn't do that. I, and I look, like I said, I understand the objections over this, yeah. but there are just so many movies that twist facts and timelines. So if you're going to criticize this movie for it, you need to criticize all movies for doing the same thing. And not all movies get criticized for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah. I mean, I mean, when you think about moving timelines to build dramatic tension or even creating composite characters um, that didn't exist in real life, at the end of the day, it's important that we always see it from this lens of the filmmakers are trying to tell a story and using elements based on real life. I think that's where it can seem misleading. But yes, totally agree pat and you know pete it's film films do this as part of the filmmaking process i mean if anyone's ever seen um invictus there were definitely it's a great you know great film but there were definitely elements that were not true to the actual timeline or maybe um misrepresented there was the recent film american underdog that told uh the that told the story of a nfl quarterback kurt warner definitely a lot of elements there that some were taken out uh, either completely omitted or just changed and but it doesn't take away from the fact that there really was someone who played so much Gran Turismo and was so much better at it than anyone else that they were actually able to jump from playing on the couch to actually racing in real life real life Gran Turismo endurance races it's pretty yeah. inspirational it, it's inspirational and it is I thought the film did a very good job of of showing just how sensational of an achievement it was for him for him to even get there. 
And, you know, Pete, you were beginning to get into this. This is changing the subject a bit, but you were beginning to get into this a bit. How, you know, this track didn't look accurate. You're like that. Wait a minute. They're not in England. This doesn't look like that track. I've, I know very little about the intricacies of racing. So like me hearing that they got this detail wrong here and there, it doesn't mean anything to me. But again, just like with the Nürburgring crash, you said you, you said it was irrelevant. I, I think it's fair criticism. I do. Yeah. And, and the thing is too, right, right. Like, listen, I watch Formula One all the time. I understand how these tracks look. There's certain corners that you're like, holy crap, I want to see how they're going to portray that. But like for the purposes of a movie, right? Like, like again, right. I, I, I just, I just feel like, especially today, we're just overly critical about certain things. Like, yes, there were different tracks, but it was still an awesome goddamn movie. Do I expect them to have the budget, like a Formula One team to be in Dubai on Tuesday and then be in Hungary on Wednesday and then by Thursday, they're filming at Silverstone. Like, no, that, that's just an unrealistic expectation. But with that being said, if you're going to make a bold claim like Silverstone, come on, man. CGI some of that stuff in there so people believe it. Because I maybe represent, what, 1% to 2% of the population that watched the movie? Yeah, probably. Yeah, right? So I can't be mad at them for it. I feel like it's overly critical because you got to view a movie through a movie lens. And I still think it was a good movie. I think they did the best they could. Correct. Like with the recreating of Le Mans and everything, they weren't able to film there. So they worked with what they had. Yes. And I I think they did the best you could. And I still think the end product was great. I see it as there was investment in time and efforts in other places that really shone through, whether that's they used high speed drone footage to capture the race. The director of photography on the film did a fantastic job with that. And especially the way that they filmed the racing scenes, impeccable. So I can see where they put the detail and otherwise maybe they miss it in a few other areas. Exactly. I would rather them produce a good movie than be like, we really got the bleachers right on turn seven at Silverstone. Like that's, that's like, that's, that's not going to sell a movie. Right. right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe they got this detail wrong here and there, but to both your points, I never once felt watching this that they phoned anything in. No, not at all. Number two reason why this wasn't better, the performances. I thought Medekwe was decent. I thought he sounded like he had a cold the whole movie. Is that His because he was just a British bad. teenager though? Or sorry, Welsh yeah. Welsh teenager. Oh, he's Welsh? I, I think he's from I think he lives in Cardiff, right? I'll just really That's like right. Yeah, to yeah. That's right. Yeah. His Cardiff father City. played for Cardiff City. Cardiff yeah. City. Yeah, I mean, I thought he did a decent job of playing like the audience surrogate to the racing world. Like he just basically had to show up and experience this world for the audience. But yes, Anton, I I agree with you. He does have a little bit of a marble mouth. I think he mumbles some of his dialogue. I was grateful for the subtitles. (laughs) But look, sometimes it's a thing with performances, you know, like it's it it is what it is. But I didn't feel like his performance ruined the film for me in any way. No, no, not at all. One thing that, and I, I'm, I'm going to do my best to say this guy's name because I know his face. Jimon Hansu? Jimon Hansu, yes. Jimon Hansu. I feel like he was wasted talent in the movie. Like, he's such, I figured the best way to put this is in video game terms. He's a level 65 playing like a level 25 role. And I don't know why they have him there. Like, I feel like it's an insult to his talent. Well, Jamon Hansu would agree that there's been a lot of underappreciation for his uh, acting and abilities in Hollywood. and for. But I think uh, that's probably more for another episode to re- or even just a, an, another conversation. Um, but I think that, yes, it, it feels like it was a very strong performance for very few scenes. Exactly. But it, to, to, be, to it, I mean, I'm sure you'd agree, very pivotal scenes. Yeah. 
Because right, like the whole reason he's doing this is like it boils down to the one thing, right? Dad doesn't believe in me. I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm the underdog. Dad shows up in the end and you're like, everyone's happy. And I'm like, this is great. I loved it. Dad, I loved I, I loved you the whole time. Look, there's a sticker on my helmet yeah, that I love you. Right? I just don't know how to show love because my dad didn't show me. Listen, I'm going to bite on that every time. Yeah. He doesn't have a ton to do, but... I thought the melodrama was handled appropriately with his character. You know, that's a, that's a very cliched father doesn't approve of what I do type of role, but I don't think it was heavy handed. He is a he is a good enough actor that you believe the performance for sure. Yeah, I believed yeah. it. I just feel like they miss they misplaced him. Like maybe he wasn't yeah, the guy fair. for Jan's dad because you could have gotten, I don't want to say a less skillful actor, but like not the gladiator guy and not the guy from Rebel Moon. Okay. Like he was like a supporting, supporting, supporting actor. Of all the films that he's been in, you're going to call out Rebel Moon. I know. I know it's terrible, but I just saw it, which yeah. I actually didn't think it was that bad, by the way. Uh, I, I, I didn't. I, I lasted We're, about 10, 10 minutes. We, we might have to cut that out. Yeah, yeah. We should. Yeah. Like, people are going to boycott yeah. the podcast be like, what did he just uh, say? Uh, nah, I'm gonna keep it in. Um, but uh, the star. Uh, let's talk about the star of the show. Yeah, though. Yeah. it's time. David Harbor, tremendous, tremendous Harper. screen presence. Yeah, the film comes alive whenever he's on screen. I have in my notes here. He steals the show, but I don't even know if that's fair. Was it his to begin with? Like, I don't really know who's competing with him, and he just dominates every scene that he's in. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. He brings up every scene and every actor in those scenes. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, D- David Harbour's had a really interesting career. Of course, he really hit the mainstream with his famous uh, depiction of Sheriff Hopper in uh, the Netflix favorite, of course, Stranger Things. But before that, he was mostly a character actor in a lot of films, Brokeback Mountain. He was in, in a Bond Quantum movie. Of Sol- Quantum movie. Of Solace. You pick Anton. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Quantum of Solace. Um, yeah. But now we really start to see him in much larger roles, which is fantastic to see. Yeah. It's, oh, I'm so grateful for it. He understood that this material perfectly. He has fun in the scenes that need him to dial it up. Like he's the training sequences, the pep talks. When he has to yell at them, he's yelling. But what makes the performance great for me is he handles the dramatic scenes with a surprising amount of heart, right? Yeah. And I guess it, it we, we we saw him do this in, in Stranger Things. Feel it. So mm-hmm. it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that he's capable of this. His character could have been a cliche. But he manages to give Jack Salter like a real personality. He has a little bit of an arc. I think a lesser, dumber movie would have tried to make him quote unquote redeem himself by being one of the drivers in the Le- like the Le Mans race, where he's just like, I can put the helmet on and I'll, I'll and I'll yeah. conquer this track. A lesser movie would have done that, but they avoid that cornball crap. Yeah, he he stayed in the role of mentor. Yes. Yeah, I I wanted to give this shout out to both you know Harbor and uh, Medeque, who as like the film's leads, it's it's uh, amazing for me to see their performances and what's essentially right. It's an underdog film, but it doesn't feel like you know you said it, Pat. It doesn't feel like a cornball cheesy underdog film. And I think it is due to these are both characters that or these are both actors that really have you rooting for them and that there is a sincerity to their performances that you, you feel for them and, and not in a very forced, cheesy way that you mo- that you'll usually see in, in Absolutely. films. Harbour said he based his performance on Gene Hackman and Hoosiers. I can see it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Can Long see story short, I want more David Harbour. Who doesn't? Nobody. Yeah, I want I want me some more Harbor too. Let's uh let's let's make a um a movement for that. More David Harbor. 
You know who I don't need more of, though? Who? I hate saying this, but Orlando Bloom. I don't need more of him. Mr. Bloom and Onion. Was his salary paid in Red Bull? (laughs) Because his energy levels in this movie are way too heavy, dude. Wait. Look, I understand he's playing a charismatic marketing executive, but he just needs to dial it back 15% in every scene he's in. Yeah. Yeah, he's just hamming it up. Are we and we've seen him be far more understated than this. Like he played this role like he is in a video game, but this isn't that kind of movie. No, they're presenting this to us as a serious like story. That, that, mm-hmm. Did you notice when the drivers show up at the GT Academy and Salter is giving them the pep talk about how he's here to prove them wrong and he 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 want he's here to see them fail? It just cuts back. To Bloom's character, and he's just doing these weird, screwed up facial expressions. Like he's not even saying anything, almost like he's tweaking. I agree with you, Pat. I think of all of the characters that either were felt mishandled or unnecessary. And I feel like Bloom's character was more mishandled, whereas the love interest was more unnecessary. But back to Bloom for a little bit. I feel like there was definitely confusion on my part of whether or not is he someone that you can trust? Is he someone that's actually rooting for the main character? And I don't even know why the film tried doing that. I agree with you on this. So, And I think this is a fault in the writing. Well, the subplot of him pushing for the American driver, and then they seem to imply throughout the film that he has some kind of back room agreement with Salter. They never fully developed it. To your point, Anton, his performance oscillates between the I believe in you hype man to scheming corporate lackey. Like, can we trust him or not? It's not really clear. There are a handful of lines that imply he has ulterior motives, but they don't flesh it out. That is not Bloom's fault, though. That is the writing. Yeah. First of all, I mean, just look to Formula One, for example. There's not many American race car drivers out there unless they're racing NASCAR. So that would probably be the worst business decision they've ever made. Because the only American-linked race team that we have in North Carolina was linked with the Russians for a while. And now they're gone, and we usually get like (laughs) 19th and 20th. But our drivers are getting better, and our team is there, and I support them. Because they're the only guys we have out there. But we're not very good, so I think that'd be a bad bet. The other question I have, too, and I don't know much about this. Even though Orlando Bloom kind of sucked as a character in the movie, is he close to the real guy i think it was darren cox like is is that an accurate portrayal of him like are we judging him as a character when we need to be judging the portrayal of the character i don't know so i've seen um a few interviews with the uh with cox and he seems like very much just one like a marketing executive that really wanted to push for the gt academy and i there isn't anything that would would have indicated there was any ulterior motive to that. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's important to look at this whole, even like the whole thing, like while it's a very inspiring story, it's a way for Sony to make more money and a way for Nissan to make more money. And I feel like that's what's, of course, driving um, Bloom's character and, you know, Cox in real life. So we can't take that away from it. And um, Puma, don't forget them. Yeah, I can't forget Puma. And Red Bull. Um, and it, it just, just, uh, it's just weird to try to have a storyline that's not even fleshed out, put in the film like that. And I think for the most part, the film has great pacing. But even putting that little subplot in the moment where we're wondering if 
whether or not Yan actually won the race, it actually slowed down the momentum of that scene. And it just felt so unnecessary. They must have cut stuff out because they just never go anywhere with that subplot. You know, a Snyder cut's coming seven hours, raw footage. (laughs) They must have just cut stuff out. That's the only explanation for it. Because how long was that? It was like two hours, right? 2.15. Yeah, they probably did. Cut, they probably did cut stuff out. Yeah, because that's that's still yeah. pretty. No, long. it is long, and I, but I agree with you, Anton. It is a very well paced movie for the most part. I, I there there was rarely a moment that dragged. And then, did you any of you recognize Ginger Spice? No, not until you it, texted it me had today. To, yeah, it had to take uh, someone mentioning it for me to realize that was Ginger Spice yes. in the film. I recognized her, but couldn't place her. And then when I saw the name in the credits, I was like, "Oh, that makes sense." Because of course, Jerry Halliwell her real name. She is married to Christian Horner, who is the team principal of the F1 racing team, Red Bull. Let's go. Go Red Bull. That's why she's credited as Jerry Hallowell Horner. This is a movie primarily marketed to young adults. Anton, you mentioned the love story here. Mm. <laughs> what? It's so a little, it's a little, so you, little cheesy. You play a video game? Actually, it's a simulator. <laughs> you mean it's a video game? I want to read some of the dialogue to hear. If you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? I would choose New York because I hear they have great pizza. Thanks, Jan. Do you uh, want to go to Tokyo because of your game? It's actually not a game. It's a simulator. It's a, it's a simulator. I'll tell you I'll rise for Nissan. Because someone will pass me a tissue. Thank goodness this only lasts about 60 seconds. I was really worried at that bonfire scene. I was like, oh no, how long is this going to yeah, go for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a weird but, scene. Yeah, thankfully it's about a minute. They, they knew. They knew. They didn't ruin it. Yeah, they had to give they him something though. They they had to give him yeah. like you know yeah. you know that nerd that's like still playing, which basically was me, right? That's still playing the simulator, thinking he's gonna break out. Come on, you, you got to throw the girl in there. Yeah, I understand why they did it, and I thought their moments in Tokyo were actually kind of fun when they go out and they're you know they're at the sushi bar, which is a very famous sushi bar with a sushi chef, by the way, uh, and they go to a club. Like that was all cool. Tokyo was really well filmed, but I actually think the the actual drama in this film led to some of the best moments of the film. Like his mother's reaction to the crash, David mm-hmm. Harbour's confession to him about quitting racing. That's like my favorite scene in the movie. And then when he finishes the track at Le Mans, it's like really well done stuff. It's it's really good drama considering yeah. like what this movie is. Not only that with just um, how it was layered, how it was paced, the dramatic tension built throughout the scene, the way that you see the little details, whether like, for example... When you see in the beginning of the film, Yan's racing to beat the cops, it seems a little cheesy with the video game effects, but that's actually more in tune with maybe like the first game. The layering of the effects later more and more in the film really starts to touch on that it's more elegant, that he's more in tune. It's much more cutting edge. And I feel like all of those details really play into the fact that um, they put a lot of care in how they were pacing and telling the story. I think we're getting into the production here, Anton. Oh, and is that yeah. not is is that not another reason? What let, let's go in? Yeah, third reason why it wasn't it better is our just our general thoughts on the production, Anton. I'm with you on the pacing. I'm with you on the effects. I was a little worried at first when they start inserting the graphics that you know is very clearly from the different games but right. i thought they did it pretty tastefully and i got to say i don't think i'm alone in thinking this i am surprised neil bloomkamp directed this but i'm not unhappy with the choice yeah no i'm i'm surprised 
But what's interesting is you can see the elements of Bloomkamp's abilities from previous films being used in this film, and it's so much better for it. I think one of the aspects that can <laughs> maybe can uh, maybe twinges on a little bit of the controversial aspects of the film of like being based on a true story is there are elements of the photography and how they're shooting the film almost feels like a documentary. It feels like real life. And that's something that's a bit of a staple of, um, you know, Bloomkamp's um, directorial style. And I think the film totally benefited. Great use of handheld cameras and scenes. Um, It's a really visceral movie, obviously. I I thought that it felt like a far more mature Michael Bay film. Mm -hmm. I really like what Bloomkamp's doing here. And, you know, we, we... Talked about the budget a little bit earlier. He deserves a lot of credit for squeezing every dollar out of that. I I really do think this looks like a $200 million movie. I was blown away when I read this only cost $60 million. This is one of the best uses of a budget that size that I can recall seeing in recent years. I found the racing sequences incredibly well done. They're really exciting. When the graphics actually pop up, I never felt that it was intrusive. I thought it was always benefiting the story. I didn't mind the freeze frames where it tells you what place Jan's in, what what lap he's mm-hmm. on. I thought that was all tastefully done. That's very easy to ruin that kind of stuff, right? It's very easy to make that corny. The interior shots of the engines, again, very easy for that to go wrong. I enjoyed all of it. I thought it worked well within the plot. And this is, this is merely just a criticism from, I think, as I said earlier, I think it, it tries to aim to do two things attract two audiences like a game audience and as well as a movie audience one thing i wish they did was like the coolest part about gran turismo was it was a racing game that lets you customize and tweak anything on your car two things that i think anyone that plays gran turismo and like plays it i think competitively or wants to you always look at the telemetry of your cars so i wish they had a tiny bit more of him tuning his flux capacitor you know, tweaking his brakes and saying, you know what, this is why I chose this racing line instead. Again, I think that's criticism from someone that likes racing and watched the movie and like wants to be loyal to a franchise as much as you can. But I feel I don't know if that's unfair. What do you guys think? No, I don't think it's unfair. No, I, I, I think they did a pretty good job of balancing how to market this to different audiences. Yeah, it is solid work from the director of photography that the camera work is great. And this is a really good movie to watch if you have a good sound system. Yeah. I have a good sound system, not a great one. And this made me wish I had a better one. So I watched it at home and like I've created this like, I guess, quasi home theater system with like this Sonos. And we I waited till it was on TV so I can watch it at home. It's sick. It's, it's really dope. So I, I believe it. Highly encourage you to watch it loud, very loud. There was only a handful of shots when I could really tell when they were using CG. I thought all, most of the CG in the film was really tastefully done. Again, with the budget, <laughs> really impressive mm-hmm. stuff. Anton, again with the pacing, I took note of this. By the time they get to Le Mans, there's only about 20 minutes left in the film. I was pleasantly surprised. Yes. I had really not checked my my watch at all up until that point. And that's a solid amount of time to really push for the climax of the film. Like if you can, if that's going to be how you're going to finish it, 20 minutes is like, that's a fantastic like constraint to, you know, bring it home. Yeah. I mean, I always expected a Gran Turismo movie would be in a fictional, a fictional universe that like the, you know, the video games took place in. And that would not interest me at all. I would have like less than no interest in seeing that type of a film. Mm-hmm. The fact that this was just based on this story is a, is a big selling point. You know, is the story predictable? Yes. Are most sporting movies predictable? Yes. But 
they did a very realistic job of portraying like, okay, he's a professional race car, race car driver, but he never won a race. I think a lesser movie would have shown him winning Le Mans. They didn't do that. They avoided yeah. that cliche. You know, like I, I, I really do think a lot of movies could could make that mistake, and they don't. When when you think about the core of Gran Turismo, and I'm talking about the game, it's essentially a way to make something that's very expensive, which is access, you know, a wide variety of cars. And being able to put them in a racetrack and be able to drive them on a racetrack. That's something that's not very accessible for a lot of people. They make it accessible. And when you think of that concept and what they're able to do with the film, it's, uh, I think, a really great parallel. And in that sense, they were able to not only take the actual story of someone that was able to use this, was able to leverage the the game and the simulation aspects to jumpstart a career in actual racing, but also make it the film accessible to folks that maybe aren't as familiar with driving or with, with, with racing and being able to enjoy the underdog elements and the really strong storytelling. Uh, I think that's pretty, that's actually, you know, it's like, Driving on like a racetrack, man, you see these guys come down there with like these huge trucks, like, and most of these guys come down there with like a four or $500,000 budget. And like, they're just paying to race with all this cool stuff. Like they're not getting paid. They're not doing anything. So I never thought about it that way, but it's a terribly expensive sport. And like most people don't ever make money doing it, but accessibility, well, that's a pretty interesting way to look at it. I actually enjoy that. Yeah. Oh, paying to race. You mean like Lewis Crappa? Yes. <laughs> Who who was not a real care? Who was not a real person in real life? But he was but, driving that like wasn't he driving like yeah. a Lamborghini or something like? Yep, yes he was. <laughs> it was like a, was it gold colored? Yeah, I'm trying to race a Lamborghini against a GTR. He, he was essentially uh, outrageous. The he 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 always reminded me of uh, the the main villain from the third Rocky movie. No, sorry, from the from the fourth Rocky movie. Oh, Ivan Drago. Yeah, he. It's just, just. Yeah. Let's put up like a villain that will antagonize the the that that's very flashy and will antagonize the main character. It's just I I I, I got to give the actor credit because yeah. he from the very second you see him on screen you're like ugh yeah oh yeah he played it perfectly <laughs> yeah, yeah he did as soon as he popped up I was like villain you're you're gonna get passed yeah. in the end yeah. There was him and the uh, the um, the German driver, but they didn't make him particularly unlikable. He was just kind of in the way. Yeah, which was interesting. What does uh, David Harbour's character call Lewis Crappa's outfit? Like a clown show or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Does Is it me or does Darren Barnett always look older than he actually is? How old is he? He's 32. And I, ju- I just looked at that, but like I remember, oh God, don't judge me for this. For some reason, I ended up watching Never Have I Ever with my wife. I actually enjoyed it. He looks like he's 45 the entire show and he's got that same look in Gran Turismo where he just looks so old but he's actually like a year younger than me I I can admit that the first time I can admit the first time I actually saw uh, Darren Barnett was in his American Pie Presents film Girls uh, Girls Rules which was not a good film and I don't know why I just admitted that on the recording you want me to cut that out too no it's fine leave it in I'm vulnerable well I have somewhat embarrassing I had no idea who Darren Barnett was until you just said it no idea. I only, I only, in fair warning, I only know who he was because I've seen his face and never have I ever, which was, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's like a teen drama show, which I think was okay. But that's where I saw him in that. And that's the only other place I've ever seen him in my life. And then he showed up in Gran Turismo and I was like, whoa, what are you doing here? I liked the soundtrack to the film too. Usually I don't like pop songs inserted into a movie, but I thought these were all done appropriately. And then 
Peter, this one's for you. Orlando Bloom's character is wearing a mighty nice Tag Heuer yeah, Monaco. Yeah, Great, watch. Great watch. Big Tag guy. Big Tag guy. I know. I know you are. I appreciate that. I do. I always pre- I always appreciate nice watches. I, you know, when I was younger, I never really did. But like now, I have a very, very specialized taste and I enjoy them. I do. I respect a good timepiece. I, I couldn't find much information on what the other characters were wearing. Um, Jan was wearing some kind of like old, old school like Casio. But I couldn't tell what David Harbour's character was wearing. You would think it would be Tag Heuer, just given the nature of the, you know, the 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 setting of the film. Yeah, overall, I thought this this is a really fun Nissan Puma commercial. Just kidding. You know, <laughs> Wait, logos plastered everywhere. That's a big part of motorsports. Product placement is not always a negative thing. It works fine in this film. Can we give a shout out to that GT3 RS that like when Jan's like trying to drive again, that like David Harbour rolls up in? Oh yeah, that that's a yeah. sexy car, gentlemen. It is. I'm sorry, Porsche. Yeah, Porsche. It's a perfect. Uh, they mm-hmm. were they on the Nurburgring? Yes, I think they were. Because yeah. oh yeah, he says finish the lap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh god, it'd be like yeah. one of my dreams of driving that track before I die. It's like it's not it's not hard to do. It's a public road. You can drive on it, man. It's yeah, you can go. One day, you know, I've been on the autobahn, Pete. Yeah, me too. That was an exhilarating. <laughs> that's experience. good stuff. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah, highly recommend. People do that. Just rent a car. Yeah. We I, I flew into Frankfurt and we drove down to Munich for Oktoberfest. The Autobahn and driving in Germany is one of the craziest experiences I've ever driven. And it just it really driving in Germany is completely different than driving in the US and I think that's why there's so many less car accidents. Like when you watch people what they drive and how they drive and how well these people like are their awareness on the road. It's like it's like driving in a war zone in the United States trying to go get Dunkin' Donuts in the morning. So highly recommend people I, do yeah, I've that. I've done. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I've done a similar drive from Frankfurt to Berlin and back. Sick. And there is something particularly satisfying about seeing on your GPS seven hours and getting there in three. Yes, yes, and not having to worry about getting a ticket. Yeah. You're literally at the like the craziest thing I've ever seen in Germany is you will go from these like. All right, I'm just gonna give a shout out. Two things: you go from these zones where you're allowed to do an unlimited amount of speed, right? So you can be doing 160 in a six series. Not that I've ever done that or anything. And then all of a sudden, you get to the zone and it shows you, okay, you need to slow down to 100 kilometers. I've never seen hundreds of people get to this sign and obey that line. They get to it, and I'm talking Lamborghinis, R8s, C series, S classes, AMGs. Everyone drops down to 100 kilometers and is so organized. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And then that sign goes like like almost the green light in a racetrack, and they all just take off again. When you're driving in the left lane, in the US, for some reason, people will go into the left lane and just stay there and not be aware that people want to pass them. And then they'll yell oh, at you. They're not supposed to. And, yeah. and then they'll say, oh, I'm doing 80. Like, no, dude, you're wrong. Move over. People in Germany will observe you. They'll see what you're doing. They'll put their blinker on. They'll let you by, and they'll completely merge. The awareness on the road, it, it, it's amazing. And I also know, I think that- Only used for passing. Yes. And I also think that getting a German driver's license is significantly harder than the US. Yeah, it is a lot harder. Yeah. It costs a lot of money. Yeah. Here, it's like, ah, well, you're breathing, so you're good. We could do a whole podcast about my love for visiting Germany. Yeah. Next week on- <laughs> Undiscovered Worlds. No, I'm kidding. Um <laughs> Pete gets that joke. Yeah. I wanted to ask you both this because you're in, you're way more into these video games than I am. How, were there a lot of Easter eggs in this film, like there were in Mario? There, there were. Yeah. I mean, I you you mentioned um, one of them, Pat. I think the the video actual video game sounds and effects not only for Gran Turismo, but even in the even for the platform, you'd hear a lot of those effects throughout yes. the game. The overlays um, for the placement. 
Um, I think that's huge for any um, PlayStation gamer. Um, now, Pete, you gave the uh, you gave the shout out to Gran Turismo creator Kazunori Yamauchi earlier on in the episode. He made a cameo. Yes. That's a pretty big Easter egg in the film. Yes, he did. Not many. I mean, no one's gonna catch that. But like as soon as I saw him, I was like, "Holy shit!" Oh, you may have to yeah. cut that out. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> pretty, pretty, uh, you know, pretty big Easter egg there. Um, some listeners may not know that the actual gaming rig um, with the um, with the wheel that uh, that Yan's character drove to place for the GT Academy. That's actually an exact replica of real life Yan's um, gaming rig at home that he used to qualify for the GT Academy. So that's actually another really cool detail that the film included. And, you know, one more that I wanted to just like mention is the, the different cars that they used in the game, very intentional of the most popular cars that are driven in, in Gran Turismo. So definitely a lot of fun Easter eggs there. Yeah. I agree with that. I was going to say, do cars count as an Easter egg? Because, like, a 23 GT3 RS will do it. Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, it, very intentional in that um, if you're a fan of the games, and especially even just of, uh, of racing, it's like that catches your eye, yeah, for sure. You know. Well, I think we've summarized our feelings on this film quite a bit. You know, we talked about the controversy about the Nürburgring crash. We talked about the performances. We gave our thoughts on the production. Gentlemen, let's bring this home. Okay. And describe whether or not we liked it and we give our ratings. Peter, as you're the guest, would you like to go first? You know what? I will go first this time. All right. I'm going to give you the letter first, and then I'm going to drive home some reasons why and where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it a solid B+. I think in today's day and age, I'm reasonable. So I understand that they used the Gran Turismo name and they had to build a racing movie that was accessible to everyone because of the biggest market. I think they did that. I think the story of an underdog, big underdog guy of like coming up on a simulator and getting into racing, especially now that like I drive cars and I understand like how horribly hard and expensive it is to be in a position where someone's like, go drive my car and don't crash it. I think that's awesome. I love the portrayal of that. Super cool. I think homage to the people that play in the game even though i wanted to see a little more of the tuning i understand there was still enough the racing line the graphics all of it's super cool cars were awesome i love the movie from the beginning into the end i think overall just very well done i think some of the criticism out there from the critics is a little harsh and i think it's a little misplaced i understand the sensitivity of changing the timeline about another human being dying but I think we have to view it as a movie that was "quote unquote" based on a true story and not a bio. Not it, we shouldn't classify it as a nonfiction movie. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So overall, B plus. Very good. This is one of those movies to me where you know it's not going to be fantastic when you're going into it. You just want it to be entertaining. I just wanted to be entertained for two hours, and I did not want my time to be wasted. This was not a waste of my time. David Harbour has enough screen presence that my interest was held throughout. The rest of the performances were fine, Orlando Bloom notwithstanding. Uh, There's no standouts besides Harbour, but there's no Sam Worthington level of blandness. (laughs) I thought it was really well paced. I thought the racing scenes were outstanding, really exhilarating, really good work from Neil Bloomkamp. It was a little montage at times, but that's okay. You know, I can forgive that. You're trying to tell uh, basically somebody's life story in two hours. I enjoyed the music. And overall, I did not think that the film took itself too seriously. It, it treated the material well. 
I understand the criticism about the Nürburgring crash. I do think it's fair, but having no knowledge of that before I saw the film, I still enjoyed the film very much. Overall, I think this is a pretty good movie. I rate it a B minus. Very nice, Pat. To start off, I'm going to give a list of some sports underdog films and just like want to just as you listen, think about the different feelings that, you know, that are elicited when you hear them. So, of course, Rocky, Hoosiers, Rudy, Remember the Titans, The Rookie, Seabiscuit, American Underdog, Moneyball. There are so many uh, underdog films that Hollywood loves this trope and loves being able to tell these stories. It draws in a lot of viewers. Um, it's very popular in the box office. And there's always definitely a little bit of cynicism from me when I go into and, and watch a film like this because I think, okay, it's going to hit these tropes and we know what to expect. It's going to be the the hardened coach that actually has a, a, a soft spot for our hero, the hero that is defying all odds, the love interest, um, the, the rival or the villain that is um, plotting, uh, always plotting against our hero. And I think like what's amazing about this particular film is all the elements that were put together to really tell the story, one, you were just so well done. Bloomkamp was able to take his abilities of being able to depict uh, um, events almost in a, in a documentarial style and really show this uh, human element of really an incredible and inspiring story of someone that was able to really take what he's learned from a video game and apply it into real life racing. And so when I think about that and I think about these other you know underdog films, a lot of similarities and being able to take from true stories but maybe from comparing to a few of those films not all of them are always able to do it in a way and execute in a way that doesn't come off as a little cheesy and i have to give credit to the actors in this film harbor um and uh you know yan's actor as well medekwe for doing such an an amazing job in being able to drive the right subtlety and being able to drive the, the passion of the right moments um to really have you rooting for them the whole time I think that Gran Turismo is a fantastic game and the film itself is is a great um, mix between being able to take, again, um, from what I shared before, being able to make racing accessible for the masses um, and being able to make this movie accessible for the masses as well. So I think this was a great film. I really enjoyed it. I think that I should, I, I missed it. I should have seen this in theaters because I feel like that would have been a great experience. I'm giving this film an A-. Wow. Are we allowed wow. to give a recommendation to the listeners that like racing movies, like another racing movie that they can watch? Or should we... Yeah, of course. So, of course. Rush, it tells the story of Nikki Lauda and James Hunt. Oh, yeah. All time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like one of the best racing movies I've ever seen. Oh, Peter, that's on our list. Oh, what? If you will... Yeah, it was a box office bomb. I, I know. I know it was. Yeah. I loved it, man. I thought it was awesome. Do you want to be on that episode? Yeah, sure. Honestly. I loved it. Yeah. Same. Was that, would, would that yeah. be like, why was it, why it should have been better, but it was. No, a, a box office bomb is perfect criteria for the podcast. You're like, well, why didn't people like it? Like, why didn't, why didn't it make money? All right. I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love racing. Worthy of a discussion. You know, what's not a good one. Driven with Sylvester Stallone. Oh God, that's horrendous. I, I remember, know, you... <laughs> shout out, they actually made a game on PS2, which actually wasn't terrible. Yep, driven. I remember Driven. It absolutely wasn't uh, horrendous. You know what was a great racing film? Fast and the Furious. Ca Cars. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no joke. Yeah. Love that movie. Cars is classic. The first one. Yeah. Yeah, the first one. I watched all of them. Uh, and, like, I, I got a soft spot for those movies, man. I love them. They're, they're like, a good feel-good 
warm, fuzzy Pixar. I'm gonna watch it. Watch it every time. Uh, they're they're fine. They're not some of my favorite Pixar films at all. There's definitely better ones, of course. But I thought Cars was Cars yeah, was of up. course. Mm. Fast Ten. Well, I'm just kidding. The movie was terrible. Uh, yeah, I didn't didn't see that. Don't one. waste your time. Um, I I won't. Well, that is it for Gran Turismo. We will see you next week when we talk about the Poseidon Adventure. Do-do-do. And once again, Happy New Year yeah. to all of our listeners. Hopefully 2024 year, is great for everyone. Hopefully those re- resolutions stick. Indeed. Indeed.